This is Coda Radio, episode 489 for October 24th, 2022. Hey, good buddy. Welcome back to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. My name is Chris and freshly celebrated. It's our host, Mr. Dominic. Hello, Mike. Hello, hello, hello. You still got that party glow? Feeling good? I'm feeling good. Yeah, I've already been coding, of course, because you can't uh, you can't stop. So uh, for those that weren't listening carefully last week, Mike snuck off and got married this weekend. I did. Congratulations. Thank you. That's, thank you. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, good stuff. You know, I mean, I, I, I said to myself after my first divorce, I'm never doing this again. You know, amen. Never doing this again. I'm a bachelor for the rest of my life. And then, you know, you find the right lady and you change your mind. And then you do it again. Yeah. Yeah. Same yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So in a few more years, we'll be here. We'll be doing it all over again, but we'll do it together. No, I'm super happy for you guys. <laughs> Hopefully not. But yes, it's certainly possible. I hope you gifted her like a coder robe. She she already had a coder robe. Okay, she was she was of course right. Well prepared. Yeah, that's how you knew she was the right lady. Your wardrobe choices, particularly your robe choices, are super important. Oh, yeah, they say a lot about a person. And I did see on the Twitters this morning that there isn't quite a lot of wardrobe conversation, sir. I know. You know, it's interesting that it strikes a note with people. You know, we got we get both ends of the spectrum on the uh, on the uniform stuff and on the wardrobe stuff. Uh, I will tell you that behind the scenes, I took a stab at putting together like a, a mock uniform online and I just hated it. I hated it. I'll talk about that more in the future, though. I thought maybe we talk about something that really has our chat room fired up this morning. They were talking about it on the entire pre-show. It's a story from a few years ago, but it's been getting shared around this week quite a bit, and it kind of hits our wheelhouse. But before we get there, why don't we back up a little bit? Some follow-up on our discussion about software developers calling themselves engineers and how up in Canada they were getting fined for that. And in Quebec, they even sued Microsoft for their Microsoft Certified Engineers program and made Microsoft change the name. Well, Hank tweeted at us, he says, uh, the software engineer title, here's some background. Engineers in the U.S. can actually take the exam and provide some other bona fides that entitle them to that title and license of a professional engineer, which is, you know, usually just shortened to engineer, as Hank points out. The title, among other things, provides some benefits, such as being an expert witness in the court of law. My fishing buddy, on the other hand, is in pollution control, and the engineering title is required in order to submit permit applications. Calling someone a software network, audio, etc. engineer is technically not correct if they're not certified, and the benefits of doing so in those fields would be slim. But it is common use and language. Uh, we really got we really got a lot of feedback about this engineering title thing. But the thing that really got people riled up is a few years ago in the state of Oregon, a man wrote in about a bad algorithm essentially they were using to run the stoplights and do the uh, stoplight camera. Yes, I remember this. Yes. He got fined for using the term engineer. So we wrote in, in, in uh, that's like back in 2014 or something like that, but he writes into the electronic, to the whatever in Beaverton, Oregon. I don't know. You know, the IEEE, I think, yeah. Wh- whoever it was. And he says, hey, I've noticed that there's a flaw with the way the math was done here. Essentially, you guys are doing the math as if this was a straightaway for a stoplight, but it's a turning lane, so people have to slow down. He says, 
Quote, they only looked at the vehicle traveling safely directly through an intersection. However, the equation they developed is not used for turning lanes. When you make a turn, you slow down, but that's not accounted for in their solution, so people are getting caught in red light cameras for making safe turns. So he reached out to the engineering board, his local sheriff, and 60 Minutes. He wrote them a letter, and it was actually, you know, he shared it with Vice. It seems like a totally reasonable letter. He says, you know, I am concerned it puts the public at risk. I'd like to present these facts for your review and your comments. The response he got back was a fine from the Oregon State Board of Examiners for Engineering and Land Surveying. They responded back with, quote, their law prohibits the practice of engineering in Oregon without registration. At a minimum, the use of the title electronics engineer and the statement, I am an engineer, creates violations. In January of that year, they fined him $500 for practicing engineering without being registered. So to be clear, his job title is electronics engineer. He wrote a letter saying, hey, I think you made a boo-boo with the way you're doing the calculations so people are getting red light fined. And their response was a $500 fine and tell him to stop using the title engineer. And it turns out he was right. He says, I'm not a practicing engineer. It's just basic mathematics, Newtonian laws of motion to make calculations that talk about what I found. The engineering board, however, said he is not free to publish or present his ideas. He says, when I first got the letter, I felt like I was being violated and shocked that I could be treated like this in the USA. And they don't want, they've, they're trying to restrict him from sharing this information. I don't know how, because this has been years ago, so I don't know where it really led to. And the guise of, you know, why he can't share it is because, well, you're not a certified engineer, so this might be wrong. For public safety, you can't go around talking about this. When in reality, they just wanted to cover up their screw up, no doubt. Yeah, we got a bunch of feedback about this. And the emails I didn't read till this morning also attest to it. Licensing is often used to keep people out of a field, right? You can listen to, I think, uh, was it Ezra Klein years ago or Matt Iglesias had a great, they're very, very progressive guys, but they had a, a great thing about how certain more jerky organizations will use licensing to actually like racially uh, segregate fields. It's like you can't attain a certain level of license if they, if like your name codes is like black or Spanish or whatever. In this case, I guess that, like you're saying, they're, they just wanted this. I remember this story when it first came out. And we, it was kind of like a, a coder success story, right? This dude, like, because the, the other part of it, if I recall correctly, wasn't the county or the municipality making money because the traffic light was ag- overly aggressive? Yes, that's got to be part of why they don't want him talking about it. Right. And by the way, uh, I am not by this organization's definition of engineer, but I was for many years a member of IEEE, the uh, Institute of Electronic (laughs) and Electrical Engineering. So I'm not sure how that works. (laughs) They were happy, you know, just just saying. I feel like I'm reverting to 2014, Mike. If you give this kind of gatekeeping power, someone's going to use it to be an ass. And maybe the, the risk of some idiot doing something in JavaScript and screwing something up is worth it you know, that where they shouldn't be using JavaScript or something like that, right? Is worth it to prevent this kind of draconian gatekeeping? In this case, I think sort of ass covering, right? Nonsense. You see, I think maybe what you're touching on is kind of a fundamental way that conservatives versus progressives view the world. I think the liberal progressive take, remember this is Oregon, would be well, the idea of this institution and what it's trying to accomplish is sound. The problem is the execution and the corruption that inevitably sneaks in. And so we just need a way of renewing these institutions 
and and washing out this corruption. Yeah. Okay. Sure. I don't know. Right. It's, it's never. So what you're saying is, okay, Thomas Jefferson, let's burn it down every couple of generations and start over. Four score, my friend. That's what I'm saying. It'll never happen, though, right? Like it's. I am sure someone from IEEE is going to write in and say, "Hey, Dick, you can pay for the membership, but it doesn't make you an engineer." I just, I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I completely reversed myself in a week. I think we should aggressively fight against this because you know why? You know, I, I've been on some really scummy bidding processes. And I know for a fact that what will happen is once there is some sort of licensure, and who's to say there won't be different ones, right? Like five different, 10 different, 20, where someone will lobby. I could particularly see government agencies falling for this. Oh, well, you know, to really hit this standard of quality, you need to be a, uh, a Martian software certified engineer. And only the Martian Engineering Institute can give you that. Where it just becomes like a puppy mill, right? You just have to pay. Isn't that what the tech industry does now? The Microsoft certifications, the RHEL certifications, yeah, the Cisco certifications. Most people don't care that much about them. And they're they're open enough. No one at RHEL, no one at Red Hat is trying to stop people from getting it. In fact, they're encouraging it, right? Microsoft True. would yeah. love for... And we know this for a fact. They would love for me to come on and tell everyone to take a Microsoft uh, software engineering class. You basically should not. But it's uh, Sun used to push this, right? And Oracle tried for a while with the uh, what was it? The Java Java. They had like a whole weird journeyman master. Like they had a whole the Duke crew. No. The Duke crew. That's what it was. <laughs> they had like yeah, they had a whole thing. It's it's basically nonsense. I mean, I I I don't know. I. I guess if I look at the fact that it takes our country, sorry, Europeans, but it takes our country, what is it, like 40 times the amount to build anything as it does anywhere else, and twice as long as somebody can correct the statistics, but it's huge. And if you're asking me that we should turn software into that by adding more more hurdles to jump, I'm just going to say no. If that's true, though, how badass must we be if people still want to build here after all that? <laughs> we must be the best. <laughs> well, if you've been to, like, an uh, airport recently or, I don't know, driven on any road in Florida, I can tell you that we we need to... Honestly, we need to get some dudes over from China to teach us how to build things again. I don't... Hey, oh. There is a Chinese airports, Chinese train stations. I'm not even going to mention Japan's bullet trains hell european train stations right the metro much better can i tell you what bothers me about this story about this uh gentleman who wrote in and then got fined for uh, larping as an engineer that the cops obviously narked him out to the engineering board <laughs> yeah I, actually like what is that process right right yeah somebody got somebody got pissed and was like all right we'll forward this on yeah that's that that also crossed my mind i think what what disturbs me if I really kind of think about my reaction to the story and I dig down what's underneath that reaction. It's that these institutions that we've kind of pegged as our guiding signal of what's good, what's accurate, what we can trust. You know, this guy is an engineer. I can trust him so he can build this thing for me. They seem petulant and petty and corrupt. And the fact that a complaint about a totally legit issue with how the red light cameras are being triggered ends up getting forwarded to this organization who not only finds him, but then actively attempts to suppress 
the information when he tries to share it publicly. Well, they, they find him, but they find him with the force of law behind them. So presumably, were he to refuse to pay, the sheriff will just come collect the five hundred dollars, right? I guess it makes it it makes it feel like the rule makers aren't playing by the rules, and yet we have to follow the rules. But I, it, 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 I, I disagree a little. It's they're making rules that favor their club, right? They favor their organization. They made the rule, right? It, it's the this engineering organization made the rule, and got that local municipality or state to to make their rule the law that you can't even say I'm an engineer. What if you wear a T-shirt? I'm an engineer. Fine. Fine. You're going to get a fine. Fine. There's 500 bucks. I guess it just it's um, chilling. It's chilling as a small business owner. That's what it is. Honestly, when I get down to it, when I get, it's to me and when I think about trying to run a business and I try to think about the next few years and the challenges that are coming. Oh, man. And I think the, the, the goalies and the rule keepers aren't even aren't even really following the rules. It's just so frustrating. But let's move on to actually making that money. So if you ever get into independent software development or IT contracting like I did or advertising sales, you often have to enter the realm of estimations. And you know how much our dear Mr. Dominic loves doing estimates on projects. In fact, if it wasn't for his outlandish estimate, when I first started talking to him, we probably wouldn't be doing this podcast today. Because <laughs> the estimate was too damn high. <laughs> So you found this great medium piece, seven estimation anti-patterns. And uh, I have a feeling there's some inspiration in here. Where do you want to start? So there's some good stuff, right? We covered this a couple of years ago. Not this piece, but one of the many predecessors to it. And basic premise, I'm sure everybody listens to this probably knows. Estimates are hard. And yeah, that's it. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, yeah, there we go. So everybody. this guy, who is a, a relatively prominent TypeScript developer, we'll just we'll forgive him, has seven anti-patterns. Now, some of them are like Ladoy, so I'm just going to burn through them. Estimates because we have to. Yes, falling order sucks, but hey, that's life. He said, I strongly disagree with that being an anti-pattern, <laughs> and I think anti-pattern might be more better phrased mistakes in this case but I, i'm all right we're going to talk about hashtag no estimates at the end here i am just going to assert for my evaluation of his seven anti-patterns that just throwing your hands up stamping your feet and saying i refuse to estimate anything is a pink slip inducing moment for you no kidding that only works for doctors nobody else gets away with that right we'll talk about that at the end but i'm going to totally table that his second anti-pattern is neglecting different estimation opinions. He's got a point, right? So there's like powerful personalities that can be on a team, people who see things differently. It is good to get most people's feedback. But the dude who just came out of boot camp a week ago and the guy who was like an engineer at Bell Labs for 20 years, I, I might consider weighting their opinion slightly differently. I don't know. One estimator to rule them all little weird. I've never actually seen this in the real world, but I guess having like one uh, lead developer, she just estimates everything. I, I, I guess the span has seen that. If he has, that does seem crazy to me. That seems bizarre. Uh, I could tell you what we do at TMB is we just, we just double or triple blind everything. So, you know, more senior people go and we estimate and then we come back to each other and, you know, why did you think this and why did you think that? And then we usually, yeah. 
I could definitely see someone that reviews them, you know, reviews an estimate. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Estimating taking forever. This is the one I thought was pretty late away. Yeah, you can't spend three weeks estimating something in today's world. We just don't live in that world, right? Yeah, the deal will be closed by the time you get them your estimates. <laughs> right, closed by by somebody, by Chris Fisher, LLC, right? I mean, And I got to say, this is an area I actually did struggle with a lot, is I could get really bogged down in trying to make sure I thought of all of the hardware components and all of the time we would need to configure things. And I could spend days, and that was something I had to train out of myself, is more high level, you know, explain more. So they understand there could be some price variation here. You know, you don't have to actually get all of the details right then. Right. You, you could spend hours on AliExpress searching for all the different Raspberry Pi dongles and attachments and components you can buy. <laughs> but maybe just find one that you can get in decent quantities. Yeah. Estimates need to be correct. This one, again, I was tempted to say Ladoy, but he's got a point. So I'm, I'm going to quote him a little bit. The urge to have correct estimates is an anti-pattern that is based on the misunderstanding that through knowledge or analysis will result in a clear path towards doing the work. And whenever something took longer or shorter, it shows a lack of knowledge or insufficient analysis. It came off as kind of mean to me. But the more I thought of it, he's right. Estimates can be wrong because customers exist and change their mind, right? Or... Mary Sue wasn't at the original meetings because she wasn't there for vacation or whatever. And now she's back and it turns out she's like the director of brand or whatever at that company. And she actually really, really needs this animation and you guys didn't estimate it in and it's a pain in the butt because it's not built into iOS. This is maybe a real world story. Uh, <laughs> moving on. Wait, wait, before you do, I took it another way. I took that as from the client's perspective, from the customer's perspective, if you estimate $15,000 and it comes in at $43,000 or $22,000 or even eighteen, they will think you didn't estimate correctly. Even, even if they are actually the ones that caused the scope creep, they're the ones that had to, you know, send you back three times to change the colors. They will still at their first, their first reaction is going to be, it's your fault because you're the person selling to them. You told me it was going to be 15. Now you're telling me it's 18. You must have estimated wrong. What did you get wrong? That is a very good point. I, I could definitely see reading it that way. The other sad truth with that is, unfortunately, it's almost always your fault, even when it's not, right? If you want to keep the relationship, keep them as a customer, you're going to have to not eat the money. Definitely don't eat $30,000. But find a way to change the conversation from, well, Mary Sue was, you know, was on vacation in Maui when this decision was made and we didn't bid that into, okay, obviously we need to change course here and try to, it's an uncomfortable conversation, but you basically got to get more money out of them, right? And I think the only way to really do that, in my experience successfully, is constant expectation setting, letting them know. Hey, uh, the way this is going right now, this is kind of going to cost just, just like immediately. As soon as the conversation comes up, you start bringing the, up how that could, that could increase the cost. And if you don't, it just gets harder and more awkward to mention it as time goes on. Well, it, it's like any relationship, right? Uh, the, the deeper into unhappiness you are with each other, the harder even little, right? Chris and I are both divorced, right? I won't speak for Chris, but when everybody's getting along, Forgetting to turn on the dishwasher is nothing. When everybody's been fighting for six months, that you will go to war for that. Yeah, right. 
That's so well put. All right, his last one. One of the most harmful anti-patterns of, of estimates is how they are misused as commitments by people outside the team. People with power over the team. And after everything I discussed already, it is probably clear that this is dumb. Still many developers are in this position. I actually totally reject this one. Um, and his headline for it is estimates are turned into commitments. And I'm curious what you feel about this, Chris. My take is the end client, the end customer, the business stakeholders, the product managers, your fellow developers, the DBAs, the QC people, uh, your dog, right? People need to know when things are roughly going to be done. They need to know what things are going to roughly cost within reason, even if it's not like this is what the entire project costs forever and ever and ever. This is like what your monthly run rate is going to be or, or something in that ballpark. I just don't agree that they're not some form of maybe not, you know, firm in stone like Moses's Ten Commandments, but they're like a soft guideline, right? They're a soft commitment. They have to be. They ha- right. Unfortunately. Right. I mean, I, I guess if you had some sort of super awesome modern hipster tooling that everybody could go and check the status of the of the project and get real-time updates, you, that could substitute some kind of estimate that gets cir- circulated. But So it's funny you bring that up. I did some searching. There is a cottage industry of SaaS companies who want to sell you their whiz-bang, we will estimate for you tool. Huh. Is it like based on like hook it to your Trello and we'll figure out your velocity or hook it to your Jira? A lot of it's uh-huh. like off of Jira. Yeah. I see. Huh. Yeah. Of course. Of course there is. Yeah. Kind of, even you say it now, you say it's like, that sounds like a good idea. It, <laughs> it, it feels like one of those ideas that's like super seductive, but always bad. It's like the fourth martini. It sounds like a good idea. Definitely won't be tomorrow. Until some sort of tooling is adopted, probably in the metaverse. Yeah, it's always going to act as a way to s- <laughs> at least set rough milestones. So wait, wait, in the metaverse when you're doing estimating, <laughs> I got to yeah, you, Well, you'll pop right in and it'll just be this giant Trello board, right? There'll be this floating Trello board right there in the middle of the room. Right, you've <laughs> described a nightmare I keep having, actually, where Trello cards are just like spinning at me like uh, ninja stars. Right. You got to dodge them. Dodge There's so em. many. You open up a door, they just come piling down on top of you. It's the most horrific game of Beat Saber ever played. <laughs> Every card is marked high priority. <laughs> Uh, so, but in the metaverse, I like this. If the sales guy gives an estimate, can you walk in the metaverse and smack him in the back of the head? <laughs> you could, you'll have actually a, a virtual martini you could just, uh, you know, toss on his face. Uh, well, you know, we could get the Ferengi to hook us up with some synthahol. We'll just pour it on him. <laughs> uh, so the last one is others do the estimation. This is my slap the sales guy in the back of the head one. I agree. That's a bad idea. Sales guy, their job, collect sale, make commission. Their job. Usually a lot of them don't care about actually like managing the customer relationship. The good ones do, but they're very expensive. So yeah, got to watch that. That's kind of like burying the lead. This is the number I, in my experience, the number one issue can be in this situation. Sales will promise the moon for the, to get to close the sale. And they'll say that engineering can do anything. I mean, they really will. It's been, uh, I, I know it's a cliche, but I have witnessed it happen over and over again and it's unbelievable what they and then now that's what the customer expects and that was the very at the very beginning of the relationship they have that expectation and you're constantly trying to live up to that sorry i was having flashbacks um yeah so okay let's talk about the very vocal very angry twitter no estimates guys 
I still don't buy it. I just don't buy it. Uh, we talked about it years ago. We got a lot of spicy emails about it. I don't know where you're working. I don't know what you're doing. Even like internal product products or projects, there's absolutely no why, <laughs> no way you don't need to know what things cost. Well, maybe they are doing government contracts. <laughs> okay, Raytheon, you don't count. I I agree. It seems impossible. The only way it could possibly work is if it was like internal proposals and somebody else just dealt with budget. Well, I, I, I've had it explained to me several times, and it's just so foreign from anything I've ever seen. How would, the, how would it even work? Like the customer, I mean, it, part of opening the door to the relationship is the estimate process and the emails that come back and forth. Like that's part of the courting part process. I don't even understand how you land the sale without an estimate at some point eventually. So, so let me let me try to steel man their argument, and I'll tell you why I reject it out of hand. So the, so the best version of their argument is the estimates are effectively lies. You're troubling the relationship by starting it off. You know, you're always going to... They basically believe you're always going to underestimate, which I think is actually, like, as a premise, probably true, right? It's, I would say, you know, on average, it's more true than not. It's one of those things I think we would all agree on on its face, but we don't have the numbers. You know, you want to keep a, it's very like super duper agile. You want to keep a tight connection with the customer and you want to keep things flowing. But where I don't, what they don't talk about is that sales process that you were just talking about. Because I don't know what niche they're in, but there are other vendors who would be more than happy to snake a contract from you. He doesn't want to do an estimation. No problem. We will. You know, entities have processes, right? So businesses have processes, and a lot of that processes, they have revolve around RFPs, requests for proposals. And writing proposals is a thing that happens. Now, I, I definitely have adopted a little bit of the no-estimate attitude. Is I'm not going to do like a 14-page proposal. I usually try to do a one- or two-pager, broad strokes. You know, this would be like an hourly or a weekly or whatever, however kind of arrangement we're doing run rate. But the idea to just do nothing, <laughs> to just say, hey, you'll find out later, seems a little hardcore. I am happy to hear from you all again. Perhaps I have misunderstood something. I would love to know some real world cases, even if it was, you know, in, in confidence where this has actually worked. Because I have never, in my very, very long time of doing this, started a conversation where someone didn't ask me at least how long something was going to take, right? If not, you know, directly opening the money conversation in the first first uh, meeting. So, I don't know. The other, the other, I guess, elephant in the room here is Agile XP, which I get is called Beast now, which is insane. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. Twitter. We got to rebrand everything so we can be gurus, right? And and sell consulting services. Yeah, and plus, if you give it a newer, cooler name, you know, maybe you can bring in some more people because it's not that old, weird, agile thing. This is beast. This is beast mode, baby. Tiger's blood. Tiger's blood. If anybody gets that reference, good work. That is one way to avoid the big overarching estimate, and that is basically what I do. But you're still giving an estimate of some sort. You're giving a, a whether it's monthly, weekly, biweekly, a sprint. You probably have a very stable run run rate. You definitely have to tell the customer if that run rate is going to go up and get their approval for that, right? Let's say you're adding someone or removing someone. 
And I think the the dirty little thing behind Agile is it really assumes a time and materials billing structure where you're de-risking really the project for everybody, but definitely for you because you're not doing a ton of design up front, right? You're not doing BDUF, you're not doing waterfall. Sometimes problems last over a decade, or in this case, 30-something years, because they are, in fact, hard. Linode.com slash coder. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit. It's a great way to support the show and try out Linode. So it's linode.com slash coder. Linode is just simply fast, reliable cloud hosting. You've got to try it for your next project, maybe for your personal site. It's what I use personally. It's what we use for the business, too. Especially now that Linode has been rolling out these NVMe upgrades, systems just got NVMe disks. And all of a sudden, my existing Linode systems were getting faster. And now, of course, you can deploy systems with NVMe from the get-go. And Linode has recently announced they're going to open a dozen new data centers over next year. And, you know, Linode is their own ISP, too, so the connections are super fast. Oh, man. I meant to pull up this GPU rig. I wonder if I can get logged in fast enough. So over the weekend, we set up a GPU rig for Linux Unplugged because we were playing around with stable diffusion. And until that point, I had been using it on my M1 Ultra Max, Diffusion B. But then we threw stable diffusion on a Linode with an RTX 6000 GPU and 32 gigabytes of RAM and eight CPU cores. And I believe, although I was trying to verify this, but I'm pretty sure I saw this too. I believe it has a uh, 40 gigabit connection to the internet. (laughs) It's so crazy. And um, I mean, surprise, surprise, right? But it smokes my MacBook Max Ultra machine on the stable diffusion stuff. I mean, stuff that the MacBook would take like a couple of minutes to do. This thing does in like 10, 20 seconds. The Linode infrastructure is so fast and powerful because on the other end, right, I've got these little itty bitty Linodes too. I've got what they call a Nanode, which is just this tiny little box that we use just to do status checking of our systems, you know, just to do health checks and make sure everything's online. And the scale there is incredible. I've got got systems with one gig of RAM and I've got systems on Linode with 96 gigs of RAM and 48 CPU cores on that one too. I mean, the range is, it's so great. And the pricing is still 30 to 50% cheaper than anything at the hyperscalers. And you get the full machine. Like I get, this whole Linode is mine. I have root access, I log in, I set everything up. It's screaming fast. They also have dedicated physical boxes available now. Of course, they have S3 compatible object storage, totally compatible with Kubernetes and your other infrastructure management tools, great DNS tools, firewalls, node balancers, you name it, Linode has got it. And the pricing's right. Plus, you're going to get 100 bucks if you support the show and go to linode.com slash coder. You can really try just about anything out with that $100 credit. So go try it out. See why we love it. Linode.com slash coder. You know, a lot of people are listening thinking, if he just got married, what's he doing on the show? Because that's what people said to me on, on Sunday when I said, yeah, join us. It's going to be a great coder because Mike just got married. We're, you know, give him a congrats. Come into the chat room. Say hi to him. Uh, and people are like, what? He's coming to work? On Monday, after he just got married, which uh, I did something very similar. W- what are we, just a glutton for punishment? Well, uh, you're up there in Seattle, and I, I didn't want you to, you know, I was a little afraid you were feeling those Microsoft vibes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I got you. I got you. Yeah, you know, that's true. It's, it's, it's dark days up here. So you and I, we got to band together and stay strong because uh, I've, I, you asked me over the weekend, and I have heard 
from a couple of listeners uh, who worked at Microsoft. I say worked, the, although they were laid off a bit ago, actually. July, I think. Yeah, not with this recent, most recent round, but Microsoft is laying off, quote, under 1,000 workers. 999, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's after there's also been some low-key layoffs uh, for the last few months. And then, of course, I thought Brad Sams on Twitter had an interesting point. He says, I get the companies have to make priorities and cuts happen, but it's odd when that same company is trying to spend $70 billion on an acquisition. It feels odd. That is a hard dike. Like $70 billion feels like a lot of money right now. Mm, to basically control the console video game market? I don't think that's too bad. Yeah. I mean, to be, to be the Disney of video games, ultimately, it's probably not too bad. But it does seem hard when you're laying off people, but still spending 70 bill to bring in, you know, a company that's riddled with issues. However, I had to think about this. Microsoft, Apple, and Google have been doing this layoff thing. And they're doing it low key, but they are occasionally making announcements. Now, why would a company make an announcement? Why would they do some that are low key on the DL and then announce some via press release? And when a company releases something like a, when a public company like Microsoft or Apple release something via press release, in part, they're signaling to the market. They're signaling to Wall Street. And what Microsoft and Apple and Google are signaling is we're taking leadership on this issue. We recognize that the last 10 years of loose money, zero interest rates, everybody's been at a party with free alcohol. Think of it that way. That's actually what's been going on in the financial markets. The Fed's been throwing a banger of a party for a decade and the bar has been free. And so companies have been sucking up billions of dollars. They've been hiring like crazy in the, in the name of what investors call chasing beta. And, and what that roughly means is they're chasing something that doesn't return value today, but will likely one of these bets will pay off big in the next decade. And so you're chasing future return. And what's happened, because rates have gone up, what, 65, 70%. I mean, the rates are, and they're continuing to go up. The interest rate, the price of money is continuing to go up. The bar is now charging and the price is going up monthly. And so now what investors are seeking and they're looking for it really bad right now, really hard, is what they call alpha. That's return today. That's value return. This is your Warren Buffett type investor, your value investor. You invest in things that are making money today. And the view in, by investors has become, it's time. You've just had a decade of free money. If you didn't produce something that returns money at this point, it's time for you to die. And so you're seeing the very large companies take a leadership role in pivoting to value. Apple has paused production of the iPhone 14 Pro because demand is soft and they want to keep revenues up. They're doing layoffs, Google, Microsoft, Apple, layoffs. And then you have your mid to small tech companies that have just getting been, been pumped with series A, B, C, D, even F rounds of funding, which is, we're going to look back at that as ludicrous, and they're dying off, and they're going to be laying off. Saved by acquisition, some of them, right? Right, yeah. Well, or the I should say the investors, the uh, VCs will be saved by acquisition. Yeah, the companies will be strip mined for IP and the most valuable. Right. One might think of Twitter in this case, who, I mean, Elon Musk has to be their best friend right now. <laughs> 
<laughs> somehow supposed 75 percent layoffs he's how could how is that could that be real that he's really thinking that yeah because the company's not worth 50 i mean we didn't everybody else has covered it it's the math is stupid right that's something don't tweet drunk or high that's all i gotta say and don't send letters to the sec drunk or high either i feel bad for the people being laid off but like every bender this one had to end yeah, but the hangover could be pretty significant. It's, it's well, it's going to be full on withdrawals, right? Until the bar goes free again, which I imagine it will at some point. Oh, I'm hoping it doesn't. Early episodes of the show, I used to rail against these companies that don't, in fact, make money, right? They don't turn a profit. These startups, they just, you know, they, they burn through money and they just get acquired as an aqua hire or they get acquired. And they get acquired based on their potential future revenue. Mm -hmm. And then everybody who's in a leadership role or on the board, I may or may not have firsthand experience with this, gets a payout based on the theoretical stocks that they own that are going to be worth something at some point in the future. And so there's this massive exchange of money, even though the company never necessarily got profitable and sustainable, but they had a future potential value. And that's what they get some of that. There's a ratio of that that they get bought for. And then everybody gets paid out. Yeah, absolutely. Or I, I mean, I shouldn't name the company, but there was a company. I did not work there. I did not con- contract there, but I, I knew some of the developers there in New York that did basically a Netflix for book style thing. A, a large tech company bought them simply to kill them. That was it. Just, that is so common. Oh, yeah. And Zapier, can you just buy us? We'll go away. Hey, oh. But that is like, what's up? That's so it's just, it was such a, a, a Roman-esque bacchanalia that it had to stop. If you watch the show We Crashed, a lot of people think, well, that's insane, that's a joke. I've seen like that. I've seen literal penis statues. I've seen parties that can only be described as like Dante-esque, some circle of hell that no one's coming out of there happy, right? There's no way the money printer doesn't turn back on. Oh, come on. There's no way be- because there are just things on the books that the government is committed to paying that there somebody somebody has to buy that debt. And the issue is is that that debt is getting less and less attractive to buyers right now. And so inevitably the buyer of last resort will be the Federal Reserve. They'll step in, they'll start buying the government's debt again. Yeah, it'll have it'll have to happen. If that happens then in the particularly in whatever sector is hot right now, but this last round it was tech, uh, and in particular like consumer software, you're going to have these boom and bust cycles, whatever they, whether it's B2B software or something else. You're going to have these crazy... I Honestly, if that's true, now's the time to start your business, get some foundations, and when the bar says happy hour, take that VC money, baby, and get out. Get out in five years. I mean, look what happened is... Instead of instead of chasing traditional investments like bonds and, and things like that, investors went after tech. That's what they went after. And they stopped they stopped caring about the fundamentals. And so a company didn't necessarily have to make profit in order for everybody to get paid out. And what ended up happening is we have a massive glut of underskilled tech leadership out there. The whole leadership team for so many of these companies, and you guys know this is true are totally mediocre because they didn't have to be great. They weren't fighting for absolute survival. There wasn't this natural selection where the absolute rock stars of the companies are the ones that get promoted. 
because the profit came from the investments, not from the product. And so it created a culture of extremely weak leadership. And some of that has to be reined out as well. I mean, I would like the money printer to stay off for a while because the longer we keep raising rates, the longer the money printer stays off, the more of this gets cleaned out of the system. Unfortunately, the worse it gets, the more jobs, the more of the supply chain gets damaged, the more long-term damage it gets done to the economy. So part of me doesn't want it to keep going, but I would love to see some of this get cleaned up. Okay, but isn't this kind of, okay, I, I see what you're saying, the supply chain, but isn't part of that because of just how easy it was for these companies when the when the ale was flowing freely, so to speak? Yeah. That they didn't build up the muscles, right? These are like, these are like, I, I have a Tibetan Spaniel. These dogs would never survive in nature, ever. Exactly. Or, but a wolf could, right? Hell, a husky could, a beagle could. We, we need to, I don't know, be better breeders. Someone's going to hashtag that. It's going to be bad. But <laughs> <laughs> Mike gets married, extols uh, young tech entrepreneurs to be better breeders, <laughs> gets canceled by Glad. Just I'm thinking of like startups I've seen that were so stupid on their face. I don't know how those guys survived the call home to mom, let alone a board meeting, right? I mean, you're probably right, though, since if unemployment hits what, like, eight percent the government will freak out and it'll be absinthe and and gin for everybody there's already noise supposedly it was leaked to the wall street journal that the federal reserve is considering making changes to their current strategy janet yellen just earlier this week came out and said we think it's getting a little dicey it might be time for a policy change so I, I don't know. I think we're already starting to actually see it, unfortunately. <laughs> doesn't, it, doesn't it chap your ass, though? Like businesses like ours and like our friends at System 76 and other places that actually just like manage to survive <laughs> and, you know, actually make money. We kind of missed out on this. But if they keep the pressure up for long, all our customers could be gone. Well, yeah, but I, so how do you So there's no way to solve the problem. Basically, we go into another drunken bender or we... Or what? It's the Ice Age? I don't know. I mean, that's above our pay grade. I think what a lot of people that are listening are probably thinking, well, that's, you know, once we we go through one more bender and, you know, maybe we make it a few more years. And by the time that bender is wrapped up, maybe a CBDC is ready. That's what I think probably a lot of people would speculate. I, I don't know. I really have no idea. what. you know, the one thing that's remarkable is they always manage to pull a trick out of their hat and keep things going, you know, so it's almost safe to bet on that, I suppose. I think it's it's interesting. Our sponsor, Tailscale, I noticed was super savvy about the way they raised funds recently in December of last year or somewhere around there. Like, I think their leadership clearly saw this downturn coming and made some really clever moves to invest long term in their infrastructure because I think they suspected that, you know, the money printers were stopping as well. And there's so there's tech companies out there that will thrive in this environment. I'm legitimately a little nervous about it. You know, it's it's sort of like I'm just a monkey in a zoo. I don't really have any say over what the zookeepers do. <laughs> so I should just sit back and try to enjoy my cage and swing from the branches <laughs> and see what happens. I mean, I think actually in some ways, you and I are, are better positioned. If we had a staff of 30, 40, or 100, I think you and I would probably be in more of a panic mode right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So we'll see. Batten down the hatches, another storm approaches. Always an uplifting show for you guys. <laughs>
tailscale.com slash coder. Go there to get a free personal account for up to 20 devices. You can build a mesh VPN with zero config, all powered by WireGuard's noise protocol. That's Tailscale. The magic, though, is in all the tooling around it. You can quickly set up any machine, any device in this Tailscale network in seconds. It allows you to manage SSH connections between your boxes. It has airdrop-like functionality so you can send files between all of your Tailscale networked machines, your devices, your Linux boxes, Windows, Mac, Android, you name it. I use it on a Raspberry Pi. I use it on my VMs. I use it on my physical systems. I even install it on my Home Assistant instance using the Home Assistant add-on. It's just super powerful, and it puts all of my devices on a flat network with static IPs. And you can throw DNS in there. Now you're doing name resolution. doesn't matter if you're at home, the coffee shop, you're at work. It's all the same IP, all protected by WireGuard. It's a mesh network that gets up and running in under two minutes. And they've got so many great features that just take it to the next level that once you start using those different things like subnet routing or, like I mentioned, this Tailscale Send, like these tools, you start combining them and it really improves your workflow. It makes it possible to get access to files and services regardless of where you're at without ever having to open up a firewall port. I've closed all my firewall ports. No more inbound traffic from the internet. That's great. So go see for yourself. Go see why I love it so much, why everybody here at JB uses it. And try it for free for up to 20 devices at tailscale.com slash coder. One more time to support the show, you go to tailscale.com slash coder. You know, the reason why I've been wanting to talk about this with you is because I think one undeniable kind of interesting retrospective aspect of this show is we have stumbled into documenting really interesting trends. Apple's pivot to services, Microsoft's pivot to embracing open source, buying GitHub, like that whole trajectory where they went. Our show has covered the span of Microsoft hates Linux to Microsoft loves Linux. And now they're, you know, now we, let's, we know where they're at. Like we've covered a lot of interesting trends. Docker, obviously we'd love to mention. And I think the one that we're stumbling into now, only because we're older and we've seen a few things now, we kind of see it coming. Uh, I think we're watching a reshaping of our tech industry, a reshaping of the very industry that you and I have watched develop over the last decade while the money printer go burr. We're watching it now rebuild itself. And the question at this point is, is how far does it go? Is it surface level? Does it end up being more structural? Time will tell. And I suspect the real action actually happens next year. But I think people that listen to this show are going to have, hopefully, a better understanding of what's going on in real time. And the great thing about this show is it's, it's two-way street. People send in emails and boosts and we start the conversation and I think we actually inevitably work out what's really going on well before most people get there. And that's been a really fascinating thing to kind of watch over the years of this show. And another one of these things that I am convinced is happening, I'm kind of here for it, but it's absolutely happening, is it is open Zuck hunting season. I was sitting on the couch last night after Linux Unplugged with Wes. And I was just telling Wes, I was like, Wes, like every Sunday I see... These pieces come out from Fortune, Business Insider, and Wall Street Journal, and they're always like these hit pieces on Zuckerberg and Meta. Sometimes they're good and juicy, and sometimes they're really just weak sauce, but man, they crank them out. One of them, at least, cranks them out on the regular. And I refreshed my feeds literally as I was saying that, and I saw a couple of these land. That's incredible. I have links in the show notes. Uh, one is, quote, this is the headline, quote, 
Mark Zuckerberg's 10 billion plan to make it impossible for remote workers to hide from bosses. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Uh, you know, and we're, what it really comes down to is, well, if you're in the metaverse, they'll know when you're logged in. And we don't even know what the physical implications are of being in the metaverse all day. So that could be bad. That's like the, the root. Damn it, suck. 1984 wasn't a how-to guide. <laughs> yeah, right. And then here's the other one that landed. Mark Zuckerberg should make Facebook Facebook again. The Meta CEO should prior prioritize growing engagement and revenue on the company's core apps and drop this Meta crap. And then, very quietly, The Wire published a retraction. They retracted two recent stories about Meta's X-Check program and says that it's using, quote, independent external experts to investigate its coverage overall. <laughs> I think something's going on there. And they've discovered a little insider bias. Now, I'm no uh, Mark Zuckerberg fan, but I definitely recognize a sustained media campaign when I see one. There is clearly just people just trying to take Mark and Meta down. It's always either about Mark Zuckerberg or how Meta is crap every single time. And I don't know, maybe it gets clicks or maybe there's just something else at play. What do you think? Is my uh, is my bacon tasty? Uh, I think your bacon's tasty, but there, but it well, what kind of bacon though? I need to, I need before I, you know. Well, actually, Mark Zuckerberg hunted this bacon himself, and he smoked it. Oh Jesus, that's yeah. right. Yeah, you know how he likes to hunt his own meat. He's a, he's a strange man. Um, the problem is, as you were talking about the Zuck, I kept picturing the bad guy in Batman versus Superman, the kid who plays Lex Luthor. And I'm honestly, I think that's a better, you know, the Facebook movie than the actual the Facebook movie. It's it's kind of who he is, right? Like he's, I don't know. It's it's. I'm sure it's a caricature, but have you have you watched him like some of his earlier talks? Yeah, he's gotten better. He's been coached clearly. Oh yeah, his last one with uh, who was it? it wasn't Kara Swisher? It was um, Lex Friedman. Lex Friedman, thank you. Was was pretty good. But, like, I wouldn't say he is Lex Luthor, but he's definitely Luthor curious, right? He's Luthor adjacent. The man comes out and says he, he wants to be like Octavius Caesar. That's that's just a big statement, right? That's just the, those whose history is not quite as nerdy as mine. That would be the Emperor Augustus. It's, it's just a lot, right? It's, I don't know. I mean, he's a rich guy. His company has done some uh, ethically questionable stuff, we could say. And I... Do you think like all these big companies are kind of evil in their own way in that they are amoral uh, constructs that are designed to extract as much labor and capital out of the world as possible while contributing as little as possible? But damn, they just need a better front man. Like, <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah, you can't convince me that like apple is not evil but tim cook like knows to be like i love alabama football and let's go help out some kids over here and whatever wherever right did you did you see the video of him at the formula one racing way waving the no i didn't the sign oh god he could not look more disinterested i think he was probably just nervous and focused but with the sunglasses and his overall resting grump face he just could not look more disinterested in waving the Finnish flag. and the, you know, It's so funny. You should find it. It's floating around on Twitter. I uh, see. I'm not a, I don't, I don't watch racing, but yeah, I would definitely like to see that. It's, it's, I don't know. I'm thinking like Satya Nadella, even better example. He seems like a genuinely nice guy, but his job <laughs> is to maximize the amount of capital and labor Microsoft can extract and minimize the amount it contributes. 
That is why they all have this double Irish Dutch tax going on with these inversions, which, by the way, no one's talking about now that we're potentially going to war. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, we. what happened? To all Like, that was really heating up there for a minute. Yeah, Elizabeth Warren was up in arms. You know, they were going to, but now, oh, no, the ridiculous tax structures of these companies are okay. Cool. Maybe Zuck should take more coaching. I mean, I, you can't convince me he's more evil than, than most of the rest. I don't know. Maybe he is, right? I don't know. It's like on the tech CEO scale, I'm not sure. On the CEOs of all of the world's companies, definitely not. There's some nasty characters. Well, like, l- let's take a jaunt over to the fossil fuel industry and meet those gentlemen, right? Like, it's, I don't know. Or the military industrial contracting complex, perhaps. I think they're great and they should hire me. What's that? What's that, Mr. Cheney? Excellent. Thank you, Mr. Vice President. See, I didn't get shot. Ask not what your podcast can boost for you, but what you can boost for your podcast. TrevDev boosted in with 2,000 sats. All right, the uniform crap is just another expensive distraction. I have two drawers in the house, a shirt drawer and a bottom drawer. Buy whatever t-shirts or jeans that you like and worry less about the tomato sauce. Damn. Yeah, he's coming in hot there, I should say, really. I I, I probably should have played. Coming in hot with the boost. (laughs) Yeah, that's hot. I feel like it's a lot of upfront thought and, and figuring out. But then years of not having to think about it. You're paying your taxes early. Is that that's what you're saying? I kind of. Yeah. It, yeah. It's like I'm buying a lifetime membership to like easy clothing, but I, I got to pay the fee up front. Uh, that's kind of my thought. Although we'll see because I, I, I am worried that I get a uniform and then like I'm bored with it in a month. What happens if you get a uniform and in like four years, one piece is discontinued? Yeah. I, I don't know. Cause that seems super possible. I've thought about, do I like, I mean, if I really liked it, I would probably every now and then try to buy a couple of extra just so I'd have, I mean, you know, and then I suppose if it, if it, if it, if it ran out, I could always do a uniform update. Yeah. It seems like a lot of work though. I mean, that's like a distro update. I'm not sure I won't even touch that. Anonymous pleb boosted in with a row of ducks. This old duck still got it. 2,222 sats. Corporatism is doomed. Capitalism is innate to humans and critical for civilization. FYI, I'm using Bitcoin and Lightning to send anonymous messages and tips right now. Anonymity with Bitcoin is possible with the right tools. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough, I suppose. There, there are ways. You can also do coin joins and whatnot to uh, hide your coins. But it's not perfect. I would be careful. Marcel boosted in with 1701 Enterprise Sats. Make it so. In America, does the First Amendment protect you if you say... You're a medical doctor or a financial advisor if you're not. I'm actually curious. I didn't think of the freedom of speech angle, but I'm a Canadian and we don't have that per se. That's totally a thing in Canada. I have a master's in electrical engineering, but I'm not, quote, an engineer because I didn't do an exam and pay my fees. Wow, how about that? So he has a master's in electrical engineering, but he's not considered an engineer. I think if you went around and said you were a doctor or a financial advisor, you might have the right to say that, but you also have the right to get your ass sued. Well, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, you might get your ass kicked, but wouldn't it be? I mean, we're not lawyers, right? But until you actually commit fraud, you're just a jackass. Like if, if every untrue statement that you heard was a crime, I encourage our Canadian listeners to come to a bar in the American South. They're, they call them tall tales. They're just bull. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everybody be in jail. 
Yeah, or if you think about like all the influencers who exaggerate their credentials on, you know, the social media sites. All of Instagram just gone. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it would work too Yeah, well. so you could say dumb stuff generally. It's if you like rob somebody or attempt to commit fraud, you're you're probably guilty of a crime. Again, not attorneys, but isn't that why that kid who threw that stupid party got in trouble? I forgot his name, but you can like pretend to be this rich party planner. It's when you actually take people's money that you've the guy who got them all, FEMA had to go help the rappers and the hip hop folks. Remember? Oh, is it the, not the Fire Island thing? Are you? Thinking? Yeah, it wasn't. It was something. Yeah, fire. Yeah, it was fire, fire festival fire or something. Fire. That was. It. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. Right. The crime wasn't his Instagram feed. He and he was lying the whole time. The crime was that he actually took their money. It's a, it's an interesting point that that there's a bit, there is a, quite a distinction there between Canadians and the states as well, which also. I got to say, I think triggered Optimus Gray last week. He came in with 2048 sats. B-O-O-S-T. Mike, I was triggered. Canada, Mexico, Brazil are in America. What you call America is the USA, the United States of America. Oh, God. We do use America in place of USA here, but Canadians are also Americans. Canadians are not United States citizens, though. Sorry, I had to. I just got triggered. You know, I had this from family up in Canada. When I referred to the States as America. I got pulled aside and I got a talking to (laughs) like, you need to understand something. This is all America. The continent is America. And they, they are very annoyed by this. This is something that they take quite seriously. And you know what? That's fair. I just wonder is Optimus. Is he is, is he a sneaky hidden Canadian? Uh, I'm not sure why he got upset. Uh, enjoying his Tim Hortons and not sharing it. Yes. I wonder. All right. Uh, we're going to round it out. Our last couple of boosts. This one is also a row of ducks. Things are looking up for old McDuck. This row of ducks came in from Purple Dog. My car is eight years old. My phone gets updates three to five years at best. I just want open standards in any device that can implement it. So this is something I wonder if there's going to become a DIY community around electric cars you already kind of see it there's youtube channels that build their own electric cars but electric cars are a lot less complicated than a gas or a diesel vehicle you know you can get a couple electric motors a battery pack that can be platforms that get sold as kits it really feels like cars are turning into the next geeky tech landscape my buddy alex on self-hosted bought this equipment that he hooks up to the odb2 port on his golf and now he can adjust things like the noise and sounds that his exhaust makes. He can tweak things. He was able to get a- astronomical increase in horsepower just by adjusting things in software. And then you eventually need to replace components to accommodate for it. But all of it is just tunable as different software profiles because the platform that that Golf R is built on is also used in Audis. And they have that same engine in a van. And they have that same engine in a Passat and they just use it in these different vehicles with a few, they, they swap out some of the components. Maybe some things are a little more robust than other parts and they put a different software stack on there and he got that software stack and he put it on his golf R and he got a huge increase in horsepower. And it's just, you know, it's a tinkerer's thing. It's a whole community around tinkering and, and, and messing with this stuff. I find that interesting. Yeah. I, I think that could happen, right? There's always been a kind of a car enthusiast community. So why not? I like it. Yeah. I hope it sticks. Nev boost in with 2008 sats. Boost! In 2008, did you know that the number three search term on Google was, what is Java? Behind financial crisis and then who is Obama? 
Oh, how far the world has come. Always, Mike is a guy's uh, Eos? Eos? What's Eos? Is that a magic thing? Oh, God. Is this E-H-O-S? That's a guy Eos. No. Maybe it just means that as a guy, your ethos has fallen in love with Common Lisp and Lua. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Nev says he has a dedicated Emacs machine. Could you think about that? A computer in your room that only runs Emacs. Is this a thing people are doing? Does anybody else out there have a computer that only does one thing? And is it a full computer? Did you just ask Emacs people how they're running Emacs? No, no. I'm wondering, like, do some people have, like, a machine that does something else? Like a dedicated computer that just runs a single application? Oh, yeah, dude. What about all the, all the, uh, all the Plex people, right? Yeah, well, maybe a media server or something. But I'm talking, like, a PC or something. Maybe, a, I mean, maybe Nev's doing a tablet. But I'm just trying to picture, like, a desktop PC with a mouse and a keyboard and a, and a screen. A tower PC that's just running all the time. But nothing but Emacs. You can live in Emacs. I, I, I'm just... Nev is blowing my mind. And, and also, you should yes, grow, grow out beard. your neck beard. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Just thank you. We got 20,000 sats from Mitch. Ooh. That's the developer of the Podverse app. Podverse is an open source GPL podcasting to compatible app for Android, Mac, Linux, iOS. Well, it's, I say Mac. I meant, it, I meant iOS. And the web. Try it out. It's great. We also got 2048 sats from our 30s. And, uh, Thank you, everybody else who boosted in or streamed in. We didn't make it on the show. We do just select some of them, but we read all of them. And I'm working eventually. We have a couple of projects in the pipeline, but we will eventually probably pipe in the boost for coder like into a Slack channel or something. So they're even easier for everybody to see. But uh, we'll work on that. It's actually pretty awesome. Dave Jones is a is a master. I love the system he built. Like, I don't know if he intended to build the perfect system for us, but he created like a a Rust backend for these boosts that get stored in a database and there's an API. It's, ah, uh, it's really quite choice. So we're going to leverage that to uh, send the boosts programmatically to different team members based on like what show they participate in and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's coming one day down the road. We're also working on a special members channel for our coder QA team. So they'll have a way to send in special messages and we're working on, although this is all really early, so you're going to hear me talk about this stuff for a while, but we're working on ways to upgrade the member feeds with new podcasting 2.0 features as well. It's very exciting. It's a lot of work. It's some big changes for us, but uh, it's all in the pipeline. So you can become a member at coderqa.co. You'll get the Coderly report when we record it soon. We'll be, it'll be slightly delayed this quarter, but we will get it out to you. I've been trying to brainstorm on a topic too. So I'll chat with you about that offline. Cause I got an idea. Ooh. But Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you want to send the people this week? Uh, I'm at Twitter at Dominuco and go to Alice.dev. If you need any automation or data conversion, goodness. Absolutely. You can join the show live. We do it on Mondays at 9am Pacific noon Eastern over at jupiter.tube links to what we talked about today are coder.show slash four, eight, nine. You'll find our feed over there. That's also our contact page. If you want to send an email into the show, we do appreciate and read all of those as well. And then last but not least, I suppose you could follow the show on the Twitter or something. I don't know. You could. Then you know when it's out, at Coda Radio Show. What I would do is I'd just subscribe in a podcast app. Then you don't need to follow us on Twitter and you still know when it's out. That's, I'm a podcast pro, so that's a pro tip. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Coda Radio Program. And we'll see you right back here next week.